0: Hey, no. come on, man. The bullet's like birds, You can hit on bitches Don't let that bird shit. He got a weak stomach. I vomit. <laughs>
1: You hear the music, that means only one thing. The Chicago Grown Folk Podcast is on the air for the Corona Spring of 2021. Here's what you missed. But Joe Biden, he'll pull a face mask out of his pocket and hold it up and say, the experts say that just wear a face mask is estimated that you would save about a 100,000 lives. Now, if you read between the lines, or in this case, if you listen between the lines to what he's saying, what he's really telling you is, well, he's telling you a couple of things. One, what he's telling you is that, hey, I'm listening to the experts and experts are telling us that if you wear a face mask, you can save up to about 100,000 lives. So what he's saying is that people, you have to be willing to do the work. What is the work? Wearing a face mask, washing hands, social distancing. People have to be willing to do what it takes to fight it off. So what Joe Biden is telling people is that, hey, you want to beat this thing. Well, guess what? You got to put in the work in order to do it. Biden's approach is a lot different than Donald Trump. Donald Trump will jump up and tell people COVID is going to go away. It'll disappear. He almost talks about it as if it's it's some kind of imaginary dream thing that we're living through. Well, it'll just disappear when you wake up in the morning, you know. (laughs) when Donald Trump was elected president, Let us not forget that one of the things that he did when he got in office in 2017 was he started rolling back restrictions on guns. As a matter of fact, let's not also forget that the National Rifle Association, they spent more than $30 million to boost the Trump campaign. When Donald Trump got elected and he spoke at the NRA convention, he told them, he says, you came through big for me and I'm going to come through for you. And as a result of that, then what do you get? You get a lot of these rollbacks on gun restrictions. It makes it easier for people who have no business to have guns in their hands get access to weapons. Now, responsible gun owners are going to do what they're supposed to do, but those aren't the people I'm concerned about. people I'm concerned about are the people who are the irresponsible gun owners. So my point is, if you have an administration in this country that is making it easier for people who have no business to have guns in their hands to get guns then yeah you're probably going to have an uptick in gun violence across the country you still have a lot of people out here suffering from this pandemic now here's the thing about that if they can ever get the vaccines out to people like they're supposed to but they're coming that's what i keep hearing and what i really can't figure out they're so concerned about these people who say they're not taking the vaccine but hell they can't even get the vaccine to the people that want to take it let alone worry about the people that don't want to take it so i don't understand. I just don't understand the things that go on in this country.
2: The threat of right-wing vigilantes looms over this election season. Militia-style groups have been involved in deadly attacks at rallies, and the FBI says a plot to kidnap the Democratic governor of Michigan. The spotlight feels especially glaring to an Idaho militia leader named Eric Parker. Federal prosecutors have called him a domestic terrorist. Today, he's a Republican running for state senate, presenting himself as a responsible, moderate face of the militia movement. Now let's start the show
1: the Chicago Grown Folk Podcast on site. Yes, yes. Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to the 42nd episode of the Chicago Grown Folk Podcast. I am E, your host for the podcast. And like always, on the other side of the room, we have none other than the silent DJ. Uh, a little extension there. Okay. His job is to keep us on point, And that's what he's going to do. You're not going to hear him talk because he's going to take care of all the behind the scenes stuff. this recording equipment. He helps me keep it running. A lot of these clips and things you're going to be hearing that are going to be played throughout the podcast. That's what he does. He's the unofficial official producer of this podcast. That's the title we'll give him. Uh, and by the way, neither one of us are on, Angel Dust. that's right. There's no Dustin going on up here. Although, uh, if you've been paying attention to the news, you know that, uh, Dustin, Dustin might be an option. No, I'm really kidding. These people going to think we on Angel Dust for real up here. <laughs> <laughs> we, we say that every podcast, but, uh. But anyway, this is the Chicago Grown Folk Podcast. What we do in this podcast, we talk a lot of society and culture issues. We're not a podcast that has a lot of explicit or ratchet material. We don't do a lot of celebrity gossip up here. You know, just a couple of guys here in Chicago recording a podcast, one guy on the mic, just rambling on, talking about all this chaos that is going on in the world in 2021. And for people who are new to this podcast, you're going to find that this is not your typical sounding podcast. And people who have been listening for a while, you probably have already figured that out. But uh, we're not your typical sounding podcast. And one of the reasons for that is when we first started recording this podcast way back in at the end of 2012, the podcast field really hadn't exploded yet. So there really was no set format for recording a podcast. I mean, people got on and they just grabbed the mic and did whatever they wanted to do, basically. But since then, you've had a lot of celebrities that have jumped on the podcast bandwagon. Everybody now has a podcast. So as a result of that, now you have these people out there that will tell you, give them X amount of dollars and they'll tell you how to put together a podcast, how to format it and this, that and the other. But, but when we first started, man, I mean, we just, Silent and I just came up here and, and just figured out what to do and grabbed the mic and I started talking, you know making it sound like we thought it should sound you know and a lot of that stuff we just decided to um i mean we don't still play music like we used to when the podcast first came out but a lot of the stuff that you hear us doing now i mean it was just a result of us not really knowing what to do and we just did it and we just kept a lot of the same stuff so as a result this is not your typical sounding podcast you know and i I remember some couple of years ago maybe two or three years ago i saw some guy on uh, youtube talking about um When you record your podcast, the first 30 seconds, you should do this and you should do that and blah, 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 blah. And I thought to myself, man, we don't do none of that up here. We just freestyle it basically, you know, and even now, and if I'm not mistaken, I remember seeing somewhere where they have podcasting classes and all that stuff, you know, you know, and listen, if you're trying to get into the podcast field or whatever, I'm not trying to discourage anybody. If you, I mean, if you want to take the classes or whatever, go ahead and do it. I mean, if you can get an edge in a field that has become very competitive throughout the years, uh, go for it. You know, if that's what you feel like you should do, but I'm just saying for us, it was just something to do. And by the way, this is our opening rambling segment where I'm not really talking about a whole lot, just rambling on kind of like warm ups before I get into the actual podcast. So that's what this is. Again, this is not your typical podcast. By the time this podcast comes out, this will be old news, but we just saw where the GOP, the grand old party, decided to let Donald Trump off the hook yet again. You know and I'm going to tell you something, man. I'm going to tell you something. I remember there used to be a time in this country where you would always hear these people talk about personal responsibility. You got to take personal responsibility, personal responsibility. I used to hear that all the time when I was coming up as a kid. This whole thing about taking personal responsibility. And these same people that would tell you that. They don't seem to live up to their own standards. And I'm going to tell you something else, man. I don't know what kind of country this is going to be when people aren't going to be held accountable for their wrongdoings. Now this particular incident here that happened with Donald Trump granted, I mean, he wasn't up on trial for any crime committed, but he was, but what was going on was Donald Trump was on trial for not upholding his oath of office. I mean, these people had tons and tons of video to show at the trial. Uh, And you talk about a smoking gun. I mean, I mean, they had them dead to rights. I mean, no doubt about it. I mean, anybody, you know, anybody can look at those videos and see that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, there was violating going on all over the place, but members of the GOP saw that and they said, nope, nothing to see here. There's no violation going on here. So, you know, and then my question is, if that's not a violation of an oath of office, then what is, you know, I mean, what is, what, what is, what is considered a violation of oath of office? They got people telling them, fight like hell and, and run down to the Capitol. And and then they, you know people in the video talk about, we're fighting for Trump. I mean, they said, they said it, you know? And it's like, they said, no, no violation here. Oh, I don't know what y'all talking about. So, I don't know. And this is what I'm saying. So, like, if that's not a violation of oath of office, then I don't know what is. And I got to tell you something else, too, man. I imagine if it weren't for the American people coming out and voting the way they did in the last election to get Donald Trump out of office. I mean, the only people that were, the, those were the only people that held seemed to want to hold them accountable were the American people, you know? And I, and I imagine if they didn't get him up out of office, like if he had had another four years, I'm guessing this just would have been a dictatorship. These insurrectionists came up there and they put a lot of people's lives in jeopardy, man. Uh, and if you can't hold a guy accountable for that, you know, putting your life in jeopardy, then there's nothing that you won't let a guy get away with. So thank God that the American people came and they voted this guy out of office. Now, I don't know what the future holds, but right now, because it's all this talk about, he's going to run again, or he's going to do X, Y, and Z. And you know, who knows? But right now, as it stands, the American people voted him out of office. So I guess we're the only ones that decided to hold them accountable. And by the way, I'm going to tell you something. Y'all going to start listening to me when I tell you stuff on this podcast. If this is going to be the new norm in this country where people aren't going to be held accountable for their wrongdoings, then I'm going to tell you, man, this society is going to be in a hell of a lot of trouble. No doubt about it. And by the way, while I'm on the subject of politics, some guy uh, out in, uh, what is it? what state was it, Silent? Michigan. Yeah, the great state of Michigan. Now, guys, some guy running for governor, uh, I think he's, I don't know, what is he, Nigerian or African? And I don't want to call the guy's name. I don't want to give him any more publicity than he deserves. But uh, he tweeted something. Now, he's supposed to be running for governor of Michigan, as Silent just said. And he tweeted something about if he got elected as governor, that he was going to eliminate Black History Month. And, of course, he's running as a Republican. So that's his thing. And I don't know. And he said something along the lines of it's offensive and probably illegal and on and on and on and on. But really what he's doing, I mean, is he, he's playing politics. He's trying to appeal to a certain base. I'm assuming it's uh the same people that voted for Donald Trump. I, I'm guessing this is the base that he's trying to appeal to uh, Trumpism, which really, if you really look at what's been going on, Trumpism is probably not the best path to victory. I mean, the last election has kind of shown that, you know, but again, who knows what the future holds, but this guy wants to eliminate Black History Month. Now, listen, I really don't know a lot about what goes on in Michigan. My only connection to the state of Michigan is I've had, uh, I've had relatives, uncle and aunt that um, stayed in Detroit who are uh, recently passed. Both of them. My aunt passed a couple of months ago from Alzheimer's and her husband, my uncle passed a few weeks ago, but they stayed in Detroit. And I'm saying that to say that that was my only connection to Michigan. You know, I think we went to visit them when I was very young most of the times it just came up to Chicago. But again, that's my only connection to the state of Michigan. And I, I don't want to speak out of term, but I don't believe that the people in the state of Michigan are sitting around saying, okay, oh, wait till they cancel black history month. My life is going to be a hell of a lot better. You know what I'm saying? Like are people sitting around in Michigan are like, are they really concerned about that? How is canceling black history month going to make the lives of the people in the state of Michigan better? And you know, I know there's a percentage of people, these Trumpers and things, they're going to be all for that type of, uh, Divisive rhetoric, but uh, for the most part, I really wonder like, and I, I don't know. And if you live in Michigan, I, I don't know, like, is this going to make your lives better? I doubt it. And I, I just can't see people sitting around the table talking about canceling Black History Month. I mean, you got COVID going on out here, you got the cost of living, wages are stagnant, and then you throw in things like violent crimes and climate change. I mean, all the stuff that we got going on, the roads and bridges are crumbling. And it's no wonder the country is in the shape that it's in, because if you got people worrying about people who are in charge of laws and making the country better, you know, and they're focused on things like canceling black history month, you know, that's why the country is in the shape that it's in, you know, this pandemic has been floating around now. We're going into year two. And at the time I'm recording this podcast, 450,000 Americans have passed due to this damn virus. Now the difference between last year And this year is that now we have a vaccine, but hell we can't even get the vaccine rollout. Correct. Now, a lot of that too, you can place on the previous administration, but my point is you got people on waiting lists or standing in long lines just so they can get vaccinated. And I mean, I'm thinking what's so hard about, you know, people are going to want the vaccine when it comes out, get a lot of it made, get it out to the States and get it out to the people. What the hell is so hard about that? But if you got people running around focusing on black history month, canceling black history Month. Well, no wonder they, you know, no wonder they can't get vaccines and things out of like they're supposed to. And by the way, thank God for science, brilliant, smart people, doctors who got their asses in the lab, got to work, put their heads together to try to figure out how the hell do you combat this damn virus. You know, these are the people that I call unsung heroes. You don't see these people in front of the cameras, running their mouths and saying things just to get attention. And you very rarely see or hear from these people because they're somewhere working. These are the people that are out here getting stuff done. So thank God for these people. They got in, they came up with a vaccine and now it's available. Now the country can just figure out how the hell to get it to the people, you know, cause the deaths are still happening out there. I mean, there are still people dying every day from this virus, but I want to say this also to everybody that's been out here walking around you got your face mask on, you're following the, uh, what is it? The CDC guidelines, face mask, hand washing, social distancing, the whole bit. You know, if it wasn't for people like us, those deaths would be way higher. I mean, think about it. If everybody went out and they didn't wear a face mask and they didn't, and they're running around and sneezing and coughing and spreading this virus around, you can only imagine what these deaths would have been. So it's because of people that have been out here and they've been doing what they're supposed to do, these numbers aren't as high as they could be. And granted, they're high, no doubt about it. I mean, 450,000 people in a year's time. And and again, that's at the time of recording this podcast. No telling what the hell the numbers are going to be by the time this podcast comes out. But because of people like us that do what we're supposed to do when we go out, we're responsible for saving a lot of lives out here. So give yourselves a pat on the back or a round of applause, however the hell you want to celebrate. Now we can just get vaccinated, then maybe we can kind of get back to some sense of normalcy. I'm looking at all these waiting lists and long lines of people waiting to get vaccinated. And I was thinking about just a few months ago when it was first talks about this vaccine was going to be available to the public. And all these people that were talking about, oh, I'm not taking a vaccine. These are anti-vaxxers or whatever. And they were so concerned about people not taking the vaccine. But I mean, based on what I've been seeing, uh, the waiting lists are, are, are full and these long lines of people waiting to get vaccinated or w- where they do have vaccines available, uh, people aren't going to take the vaccine. I-, I get a feeling that a lot of that was hype. Now, listen, these anti-vaxxers they're out here. No doubt about it. Cause I even talked to some of them. So I know they're out here. I'm not saying that they're not out here. I, I-, I do know they're out here. As a matter of fact, I knew of someone, a friend of mine back in December, when this thing first, this vaccine was uh, coming out to the public. Well, this person was adamant. I'm not taking a vaccine. I don't give a damn. What? Who? What? I'm not taking that damn vaccine. Well, we'll wind up happening around the same time. This person wound up catching COVID pre-existing conditions and all COVID wound up kicking this person's ass and that I'm not taking a vaccine. That position changed real quick. Any vaccine come out, I'm taking it. I don't give a damn. What? Who? What? I'm sign me up. I'm taking it. So my point is, I think there are going to be a lot of people out there. They might initially have faced resistance, but They're going to come around and they're going to take the vaccine, especially once they find that most people have been taking it and they're fine. I have people in my family that have received it and and they're fine, you know, hell I'm trying to figure out when I can get vaccinated. So, so yeah, there are going to be people out here that are not going to take it, but I don't think it's going to be as big of a number as it was hyped up to be. But yeah, my friend was adamant. I'm not taking the vaccine, you know, and was trying to convince me not to take it. Although at the time we were having a conversation I hadn't said either way whether I was going to take it or not. I said, I really didn't know. But this person was trying to convince me not to take it. But this is why one of the reasons why I tell people, people, you have to be able to think for yourself. Now, if I wound up listening to this person and decided, yeah, I'm not taking it either, you know, I would have felt like a damn fool after this person came around and said, well, yeah, I'm going to take it. You know, that's why I say, people, you have to be able to think for yourselves. All these people running around here telling you what you should do and what, what they ain't doing, what you shouldn't do, this, that, and the other. And they'll turn around and they'll do it. You know, all these people out here with these conspiracies and this, that, and the other, you wind up listening to these people, you'll be so whacked out so you don't know what to believe. I mean, we saw the same thing happen back on January 6th when all these people were standing around at these rallies listening to, uh, who was it, Uh, Ruli Giuliani and uh, Trial by Combat. We're going to go down to the Capitol. We're going to have Trial by Combat. And the people in the audience talk about, yeah, 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 yeah. But I'm going to tell you something, man. If I'm in that audience, the first thing I'm thinking is Trial by Combat Hold on, Rudy. Slow your roll. Trial by combat sounds great, but are you going to have your old ass down there trial by combat and with us? If not, why the hell are you calling for trial by combat if you're not going to be out there fighting with us? Donald Trump did the same thing. He hyped these people up, told them to go down to the Capitol, stop the count. I'll be marching with you. And when the time came, well, none of these people were nowhere to be found. All these people that said trial by combat, these people were gone. Ghosts. Like they used to say back in the day, ghost. And these people ran down to the Capitol and tore it up. And now they got federal charges a lot of them. They're sitting around somewhere trying to keep their asses out of jail while Donald Trump is in Florida playing golf. And Rudy Giuliani is somewhere chilling, living lavish. You know, but again, listening to other people, instead of thinking for themselves, listening to folks, hype them up and not in trouble. And so they got the worst end of the deal, no doubt about it. But that's why I say people, again, you have to be able to think for yourself. That ought to be the theme silent for this podcast in 2021. Yeah, think for yourself. That's right. Yeah. Do for love, baby. That's that old. I wonder how many people uh, remember that old Bobby Codwell. Do for love. Sample. Well, now you heard me on the last segment talking about um, getting coronavirus under control. Now there's talks about, all oh, the numbers have been going down. And now what I don't know is how much of it is because of the vaccinations that people have been receiving. How much of it is due to the weather. You know, old man winter was in full effect in the month of February 2021. So maybe a lot of people were staying in. I don't know. So the numbers have been kind of ticking down while well, they were ticking down. But then I heard somewhere where they're saying, well, the numbers might be starting to slowly tick back up. And it doesn't help that you have some of these people that are running these states where they're trying to, they're making announcements that they're opening things back up fully. So these people, you can come in, I think Texas is one of them our friend Greg Abbott, who I keep hearing about as of late. You know, I, I was, uh, when th- that whole thing happened down there in Texas, shout out to all the people in Texas too, by the way. And we were sitting up here watching that whole thing that went down with the power grid going out. And, you know, I, you know, like I was talking on the last podcast about the forest fires out on the West Coast. Now you got this crap going on in Texas, with the weather there, you know, it's it's very disturbing thing to watch, but hopefully by now you guys have recovered and moved on. I know the weather's pretty warm down there now. But uh, Greg Abbott, and I was trying to remember when that whole thing was going down, I kept hearing his name, and I was trying to figure out, I said, I said, why does that name sound familiar to me? And I remember it on the last podcast. He was one of the people that was tampering around with the voting process. Uh, Something about, he was screwing around with the ballot boxes or somebody other, I couldn't remember exactly, but that's where I heard his name from. And then I heard it again recently because it says, Greg Abbott wants to open up Texas where he's going to open it up probably by now it's already open. He said it's a hundred percent capacity. That meaning y'all did no mask when no nothing come on through, come on down. So no restrictions on nothing, you know, so you can walk in a lot of these businesses. I guess you don't have to wear a face mask. Now I don't know if individual businesses will still require people to come in and wear a face mask. Uh, And if somebody comes in, some of these Trumpers and things that want to come in and they don't want to wear a mask. Well, I mean, if you run a business, I'm guessing you can throw them out, but I don't know. Since there's no mask mandate. So Abbott says, open up Texas. And the thing about it is, you know, a lot of the times when these people, these uh, governors and things make these types of decisions. Well, who gets affected the most by those types of decisions? The, the, The little guy. Average Joe Blow men and women. You know, you might be working in a restaurant. You're a waiter or a waitress people are going to be coming in and you got to serve them. They don't want to wear their face mask. You might be working at the cash register at the Walmart or the, the H E B grocery store. You know, I know that from watching some of the Spurs games, the H E B commercials, but you're working at the grocery store. People are coming in without masks. Well, the people that work in these facilities, those are going to be the people that are going to be affected. Greg Abbott will be fine. His family's fine. And he's probably been vaccinated too. You know, so they'll be fine. But you guys, average Joe Blow men and women who have to get out there and work in these places, you're going to be the ones that are going to be at risk. Now, like I say, if you are like these Trumpers and things and you don't give a damn, then you'll be fine. But there is a nice percentage of people that that know COVID is not a hoax and they don't want any parts of this stuff, but they got to do it. Thanks to Greg Abbott. So it's because of people like him, uh, the governor of Mississippi, who's pulling the same trick. And there's a few other states that are kind of jumping on that bandwagon. So it's because of people like that, that this virus will probably wind up spiking again. Now I, I'm guessing that they're banking that most of the people will be vaccinated before the spike gets real high, but still, I mean, they're playing with people's lives. Then you got these kind of idiots. There was a party here in Chicago. It says old town party with nearly a hundred guests shut down six businesses cited for violating Chicago COVID-19 restrictions. Now what you had happening here was you had a residence in the 300 block of West North Avenue said they were hosting a party that had 97 people without social distancing or face coverings. So that party was lit, as they say. It says officials said they conducted about 86 investigations from February 25th to February 28th, resulting in citations to six businesses. It says the renaissance of Bronzeville at 46th and King Drive was holding a gathering with over 100 patrons without social distancing or face coverings. You had a little cafe, I don't know how to pronounce the name, Crotill... On 8443 West Lawrence, it says they were allegedly allowing over 100 people to dine indoors with patrons and employees not wearing face coverings. Blue Line Lounge and Grill on 1548 North Damon for allegedly operating with 15 patrons after requiring midnight closures. Dunkin' Donuts, 115th and Hosted for allegedly failing to require employees to wear face coverings. So this kind of stuff has been going on all over the city. Uh, A place here called Creative Care on Milwaukee Avenue allegedly holding gatherings with 73 patrons without social distancing or face coverings. It was also issued a cease and desist order. So it's because of a lot of these uh, people. And I don't know if these people are doing it to be defiant. Uh, You know, it's my business. They can't tell me what to do type of thing. Or if they're just hoping they don't get caught. I mean, I don't know what's behind this. Maybe they believe like some of these Trumpers that COVID is a hoax. Or it's just something as simple as profit over people. And I'm going to tell you something. And it made me think about the vaccination process where now here in, uh, in the state of Illinois, they're on, I believe they call it the 1B phase, where they're hitting a lot of seniors with the vaccination, uh, 65 and up, and essential workers. But one of the things that I started thinking about is that maybe they ought to do it in reverse. Maybe they ought to be vaccinating people 65 and under. Because these are the ones that are running out and they're they're holding these parties And running from place to place, spreading this virus around. They're trying to hold parties. They're going to the clubs. They're gathering with friends on party buses and this type of thing, you know. Because most people 65 and up, they ain't hardly going nowhere. They're at home. You know, they ain't going out to hit the nightclubs and the local party at the, the cafe down the street, you know. Now, granted, you have some older people that are firecrackers, no doubt about it, but the majority of them are sitting at home. So that's what I'm thinking. Maybe they should have did it in the reverse and hit these people here so they can just go, especially now that the weather is getting warmer too, get these people to hell vaccinated so they can go out and live their lives and we can stop worrying about these spikes in COVID because the spikes are coming because the vaccinations are not coming as quick as they should be. And these people are not going to sit at home now that the weather starting to get warm. And no telling how many other parties that have been going on And it just hasn't been caught. But like they say, there is light at the end of the tunnel. Let's just hope a lot of us can make it there. I was driving through the south side of the city recently, Englewood, Auburn Gresham. You go back and look at our 41st podcast, the thumbnail for that podcast, that viaduct, that was taken in Auburn Gresham. And then if you go back and look at our 39th podcast, that photo was from Englewood, right over there on the corner of Hauston and 67th. Well, yeah, well, technically it's Marquette Road. On the south side of the city, all the streets that run east and west are numbered streets. If you're heading from north to south, the numbers go up. If you're heading from south to north, the numbers go down. A lot of people in the area call Marquette 67th because somewhere down the further east you go, I think 67th runs into Marquette Road. So a lot of people just call it 67. So I'm saying that to say that if anybody hears me say that that picture was taken on 67th in Austin, and they're looking... And they happen to be in Chicago and they can't find the 67th. Well, it's, it's Marquette Road. That is just a little travel guide for the city. But yeah, that photo was taken on 67th and costed over there in the Inglewood area. We've actually had a couple that were taken. I think our 35th podcast and our 36th podcast as well. They were all kind of taken in that same area. But I was driving through those areas and I couldn't help but notice how run down that area of the city is looking. I don't remember it looking that bad when I was a kid. Riding through those areas. And that was me looking at it through a kid's eyes. So maybe there was a lot of things that I just didn't pick up on. I don't know. I mean, but yeah, I was really just uh, bothered and, and quite frankly, angry as well because I can't figure out how do you let a city, a major city, get to the point where it just looks so run down. The streets are riddled with potholes, boarded up vacant homes, empty lots filled with debris and trash. Now, if I turn my car around in the opposite direction and start heading north, ride down Hostet, go across Interstate 290, and there are countless numbers of new, modern, expensive high-rise buildings, any kind of spot they can slap up a new high-rise, they're building them. And it's really remarkable to me how there's so much development going on on certain areas of the city, and you go to other areas of the city, and nope, nothing happening. You got so many people crammed into one area of the city. You know, and silent, I'm sitting here thinking about this now. I really wonder how good of an idea it is to be cramming so many people within a few block radius. You got one high-rise that might house a hundred families, and then maybe another one across the street from it that houses 150, and then a half a block down there's another one that houses X amount. So I really wonder when you start cramming so many people into an area, how I don't want to say healthy, but I I mean, it can't be good to have so many people on top of each other. But I said all that just to get to this point here, cramming all those people into these small areas when you have huge spots of the city that are wide open seems to be a bit backwards to me. I mean, it's a big city. Spread some of these people out. And I wonder how much this plays a part in a lot of these uh, backward decisions that seem to be going on in this city. Now, check this article out here. It says Chicago is once again the most corrupt city in the U.S., according to a new study. Now, you might remember I talked about this a couple of years ago. Well, here we are again. Same thing is still going on. Chicago continues to be the most corrupt city in the United States. And Illinois is the third most corrupt state, according to a new report by the University of Illinois. Uh, And this report was put together by a Guy who is a former alderman by the name of Dick Simpson. He's a professor. He's a professor at the university. It says this report is based on analysts of the 2019 public corruption statistics published by the U.S. Department of Justice. It said that the feds recorded 26 total corruption cases in Chicago. And by the way, this article says because of pending cases, the Department of Justice's public corruption conviction statistics for 2019 did not even come close to capturing the significance of that year's corruption events. Wow. So in other words, the numbers would be higher if a lot of these pending cases had uh, been solved. And check out some of the things that went on in that year. It says uh, in January 2019, the FBI filed a federal complaint charging longtime Alderman Ed Burke of the 14th Ward and then chairman of the powerful finance committee with attempted extortion. You know, that name Ed Burke silent, I think he was the guy some years ago there was a story that came out of this city, and I'm going way back to uh, about the mid-90s or so. There was this billboard um, right off of the Kennedy Expressway back in the Chicago Bulls glory days when you had Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Dennis Rodman. Well, Dennis Rodman was known for changing his hair color. And I think there was a billboard or something of Dennis Rodman on the right off the Kennedy Expressway where they had it set up where his hair would change colors. Now, this Ed Burke was complaining that people were more focused on the billboard than they were on driving on the Kennedy expressway. So he was trying to complain to get them to take the billboard down. Now, I believe this is the same guy. Like I said, this was some years ago. Well, now he's caught up in extortion charges. Now we got a guy here, a guy by the name of Alderman Danny Solis says he wound up wearing a wire for the feds recording Burke over a two year period. And the reason why is because he was pressured into doing so after he was confronted by the feds about his own alleged wrongdoing Now check out what he was accused of. It says the feds alleged that this guy Solis received sex acts at massage parlor's, the erectile dysfunction drug Viagra and campaign contributions in exchange for ushering deals through the city council. So here's a guy here as Danny Solis was trying to get his freak on. Then you had another guy who was pretty popular here in uh, Illinois Michael Madigan, he's the Illinois House speaker. He had a woman by the name of Elena Hampton filed a federal sexual harassment lawsuit against the Democratic Party of Illinois, the Democratic majority, the 13th Ward Democratic organizations and friends of Michael Madigan, according to the report. She accused a guy by the name of Kevin Quinn, a Madigan aide and brother of Alderman Marty Quinn, of sending her a barrage of unwanted messages and phone calls in a pursuit of a romantic and sexual relationship. She settled her suit in 2019 and Quinn was fired by Madigan. But it also says in May of that same year, feds raided city club offices seeking documents related to ComEd. Now, ComEd is the Commonwealth Edison. That's the, uh, that's the energy company here. And they're all kind of tied up with Michael Madigan and some kind of scheme. It says much more of Madigan ComEd scheme would unfold in 2020. Madigan resigned from his house seat on Thursday and resigned as chairman of the Illinois Democratic Party on Monday. I mean, and this just goes on and on and on. You had a guy here by the name of Joe Moreno, another alderman of the first ward. He was arrested on felony charges of insurance fraud and obstruction of justice. He was jailed this year after being charged with drunken driving, which violated his bond. Wow. June of 2019, feds raided Alderman Kerry Austin's office, the 34th ward, but it doesn't go into what they raided it for. Now, if you guys have been listening to this podcast, you've heard this name before. It says also in that same month, former alderman Willie Cochran of the 20th war was sentenced to a year in prison after pleading guilty to federal fraud charges, which you all know we talked about that on the podcast. So no wonder the neighborhoods are going to hell because the people who are in charge aren't doing a damn thing except raping the city for resources. Now, I want to play a little bit of this clip from this Dick Simpson who put this report together. He talks about how this corruption hurts the city
3: good morning professor good morning guys uh so you you've got the burke case the solis case the madigan case is there a running thread through all of this well it goes back to machine politics uh, and in chicago aldermanic privilege but in fact each each form of corruption has its own scheme what governors do that got them convicted four of our last nine governors went to federal prison and it's different from what all of them do but all of it is taking away uh, money from taxpayers we pay a corruption tax of about 500 million dollars a year as a cost of corruption well, among everything else the lost lives and the, re- the other damage that's done
2: what do you mean by a corruption tax are you saying that we're paying out settlements is that what you're talking about we're not
3: only paying out uh, settlements we also lose money if you go back to for instance the hired truck scandal which lasted a decade under the Richard M. Daly administration, we hired trucks that we did not need. We, they're crooked contracts. And those were costing us about $10 million a year for 10 years. What about inspectors general? Are they somehow handcuffed because their power and, and their finances are kind of set by the people they're trying to keep an eye on? Well, the inspector generals are, in general, doing a great job, but we don't have them everywhere. For instance, the suburbs do not have inspector generals. And yet, when we studied the suburbs over the years, we found more than 300 suburban officials in 60 different suburbs who were involved in corruption. Harvey had a major set of cases in 2019 involving six officials. There are only 25,000 people living in Harvey. Mm
2: do to turn this around i know you've been on our show and you've been reporting on this for years i just feel like it's a broken record we keep hearing the same thing over and over again
3: well we have a number of steps we can take immediately for instance this is a year we're going to redistrict all of the state legislative districts the congressional districts and the wards in the city of chicago we could do that fairly with an impartial commission instead of having it done in backroom deals uh, we could have term limits. We could require—we've begun to require—that uh, students in uh, eighth grade and high school uh, have civics classes. We went—that uh, was the first time in our history that that was a statewide requirement—and it's only been enacted for the last three years. So we are doing some things right, and we—Inspector uh, General's is a good example. The requiring education is but it's going to take us a decade to clear this up. This has been going on for more than 150 years in Illinois. But you're not expecting those who hold power in Illinois to uh, give up that power when it comes to writing those districts, do you? I mean, what it seems like it seems like voters are bored with the whole gerrymandering issue and nothing ever happens. And in some states it's Republicans, in this state it's Democrats. Uh, We have the power to take to force our officials to do it. We've had uh, promises. uh, For instance, Lori Lightfoot supports uh, a uh, fair commission process. Uh, The speaker, the new speaker in the General Assembly has said he supports it. The governor supports it. We just need more uh, pressure from the voters to be able to get it done this
2: time. All right, Dick Simpson, we appreciate you joining us. You can see that full report uh, with the link on your screen. We'll also post the link on our website, WGNTV.com. Thanks for being with us.
1: Thank you. All right. So what stood out to me when I listened to that, $500 million, it cost the city to pay for these corrupt individuals. So that's taxpayers' dollars mine silence anybody that might be living in the city who's listening that's where your tax dollars are going all the problems we get going on in the city that money could be put towards better use citizens are going to have to start paying attention to a lot of this stuff finding out what's going on with your alderman i was what was the last podcast we were talking about a woman uh, i believe it was in chicago heights where there was a lot of carjacking going on in the neighborhood and she was trying to get in contact with the alderman and She heard nothing back. So that's somebody that you need to get rid of. If he's not doing a damn thing, he, she, whomever, get rid of their asses, vote them out of office. You know, and you vote the next person in, they don't do a damn thing, vote their asses out too. A while back on one of our earlier podcasts, I came across an article that I read. Might have been about 2015, 2016. I don't remember exactly what year it was. We're going to play this clip from that podcast. A woman that went by the name of Joan. I don't remember her last name, but it was Joan. She worked at some store called Agway. According to the story, it was her and some relatives of hers. For years, what they had been doing was ringing up fake purchases and ringing up fake returns. So what they would do is they would say somebody came in and wanted a refund and they gave them X amount of dollars. Well, what they were doing was they took X amount of dollars and they started sticking it in our pockets. It was estimated that they had allegedly stolen upwards of $100,000. And one of the things they were doing with the money, and who knows what they were doing with the money. Like I said on the last podcast, you know, these people steal money and you never really know what they do with it. But one of the things they did do was they took some of the money and they played lottery. Well, turns out through all of that, and this is how things work, they wound up hitting the lottery jackpot. Now, they eventually got caught. How they got caught was a store owner, a guy named Ronald Yordy, at some point got suspicious and he put cameras in. And apparently the employees didn't know the cameras were there and they got caught on video. So I guess they put two and two together and figured that, well... The lottery ticket that they bought was bought with stolen money, so therefore, they really shouldn't be entitled to that money. Well, after we read that story, I came across a video that had the news broadcast of that same story, and so we're going to run it real quick.
2: Employees of an Agway store in Schuylkill County are accused of ringing up fake purchases in the amount of $175,000.
1: But investigators
0: also believe they used that stolen money on various things, including playing the pennsylvania lottery and winning news watch 16's alicia Nieves is live in schuylkill county tonight alicia
4: yes god marisa so this core paperwork says that the store owner actually captured footage of the four employees all from the same family ringing up returns with no customers around pocketing that money and then yes with that money sometimes even playing the lottery and wouldn't you know it they won and even bragged about it in the local paper This is the Pottsville family who you might say hit the lottery twice once as they were able to pocket tens of thousands of dollars from their boss over the past five years. And then as they use that money to play the actual Pennsylvania lottery and actually win. Are you guys planning on paying him back? Joan Lechlitner, her fiancé, daughter, and nephew had no comment as they left their arraignment in Orwigsburg, but each admitted to police when they worked at the Agway store in Cresona. They stole about $175,000 from the business. The store's owner, Ron Yordy, had to take out three loans while the family worked for him to keep the business afloat. Finally, he suspected there had to be something more to his business woes. He installed cameras in his gardening and outdoor supply shop and saw people he considered family
1: they were at, you know at least close enough that he felt comfortable having them you know run the store for him
4: partaking in their own family affair. The new store manager told us what core papers confirmed. The former employees would ring up fake store returns, pocket the money, or buy lottery tickets inside the store's automated machine. And $175,000 can buy a lot of tickets, enough for the family to win. In September of last year, they hit the Cash 5 jackpot. The local Pottsville Republican Herald featured them in an article. They even bragged that it was a quick pick. That quick pick likely with stolen money added another $261,000 to their already full bank accounts, all while their 72-year-old boss's account was running dry. Yeah. And the family actually left this district magistrate's office earlier in a brand new truck that they bragged about in that article they used. They bought it with their uh, lottery winnings. They each are charged with several counts of felony theft and they each are out on $25,000 unsecure bail. Lisa Nieves, Newswatch 16 reporting live in Schuylkill County.
1: Hey, Silent, you know, something that got past me when we recorded that piece, I was listening back to it afterwards and you know, I noticed uh, all those church bells. Did you hear all those church bells going off in the background? So you might be going to the courthouse because you're on trial for grand larceny or something. And the church bell is just, you you going in and out and the church bell is just ringing. Trying to make you think a little bit, you know. But anyway, so you heard the clip. But the reason we were visiting that story is because, well, you might have saw this in the news, I don't know. But... A similar thing just happened recently. It was a Kroger in Gwynedd County, and it was a teenager by the name of it, Trey Brown, 19 years old. When I saw this story, I, the first thing I thought about was this couple that you just heard in Oresburg, Pennsylvania. Now, what this Trey Brown is accused of doing is, it says he wound up stealing nearly a million dollars from this Kroger where he worked at. Now, how he wound up doing it, much like these people in Oresburg. It says Brown created more than 40 returns for non-existent items in December and January. Those returns ranged in price from $75 to more than 87000 Were then placed on several credit cards. And check out some of the stuff he bought. It says he uses stolen money to buy two cars, clothes, guns, and new shoes. And it says prior to his arrest, the team reportedly totaled a Chevy Camaro that he had bought. Wow buy a brand new car and just tad up. Now they say a large sum of money was returned to the grocery chain following the team's arrest, but it wasn't immediately clear how much was taken. And it doesn't say how long this Trey Brown had worked at Kroger. But you know, the thing about um, these types of crimes, you know, you're always going to wind up getting caught because there's typically paper trails. Um, you're talking about electronic transactions and I mean, these things are being recorded somewhere, not to mention you're in the Kroger. I'm pretty sure they got video cameras. This is how they caught that couple in Orisburg. You know, so these types of crimes, uh, they always wind up catching you because there's paper trails. You know, I, I was looking uh, somewhere in the news recently where a lot of people were getting arrested, trying to get small business loans and things when they were passing out that money for COVID last last year in 2020. Well, a lot of people were asking for that money that really wasn't supposed to get it. You know, and now as a result, a lot of people have been getting arrested because of it. Now, according to this, it says they charged them with... Uh, Says he was charged with one count of felony theft and he was released on bonds. So and another thing too, they said he rung these things up on credit cards. Now, I don't know if they were his cards or whatever, but I'm gonna take a guess and say that they probably weren't, but you never you know, but who knows, you know. Uh you heard me on the last podcast talking about grocery change. Well, Kroger is a store that I've never stepped foot inside of. I'm pretty sure I've seen Kroger's around somewhere. But uh, yeah, I've never been—I've never set foot inside a Kroger. And prior to reading this article, I couldn't even have told you what Kroger sold. I'm guessing it's a grocery chain. I'm guessing, or maybe it's a store like Walmart, where or Sam's Club, where they sell all kinds of stuff. I mean, I don't know, but um, because I've never been in one, you know, I don't know. But there you have it. I'll keep an eye out for any developments on the story. As it stands right now, as it stands right now, this guy is awaiting trial, so we'll see what happens. Uh, if you've listened to this podcast any length of time, you know that one of the things that we tend to talk about is anger. Anger,
0: anger can make you old. Yes, it can. I say, anger, anger. will make you sick, girl. Anger destroys your soul. Ooh.
1: Now. Here's a story here that came out of East Orange, New Jersey. Now, this incident all stemmed from a family argument that took a totally wrong turn. It says a family argument over a scratch car led to a deadly stabbing in New Jersey on Monday. Now, this incident happened on Brighton Avenue, where the suspect's niece said the family members had been living in close quarters for over a year while caring for an elderly relative. Now, according to this, it says a woman by the name of Clarissa Price... Came running after she heard her uncle, Samuel, had stabbed her soon-to-be uncle, Calvin, over a scratch on Calvin's car. So these two wound up getting into an altercation, and it was over whether or not my aunt's fiance's car had been scratched by my uncle. And it wasn't, according to her. <laughs> but apparently it escalated from a fist fight to a stabbing in seconds. It says he wound up punching this guy Samuel. And then this, and Samuel put out a knife and stabbed the guy. And they, not only did he stab him, I mean, he stabbed him a few times and wound up taking his life all over a scratch on a car. And so this is kind of what I try to tell people. It's surprising how quickly petty altercations can turn into something fatal. And it don't take no time to happen. I mean, these things escalate. And before you know it, Somebody anger gets the best of somebody. and And, and in some cases, these things can end fatally. So... I always try to tell people, if you can think before you react, I know in the heat of the moment, it's hard to do that. But if you can think before you react and, and 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 like I said before, on previous podcasts, none of us are immune from this, man. I mean, this can happen. This could be any one of us out there. Now, I know you guys heard the story here that came out of Pennsylvania. I mean, this story made national <laughs> news. I mean, this story was plastered all over the country about these three people that wound up um, getting shot over a snow shoveling incident. Now, for those that didn't hear the story, uh, basically, it was a situation where you had one guy, and and all these people were neighbors, by the way. It says, uh, Goys, G-O-Y-S. They were shoveling snow from their parking spots, and they wound up pushing it over onto their neighbor's property, a guy by the name of Spade. And the guy asked him to stop throwing snow onto his property, and the neighbors got into an argument where they appeared to exchange obscene gestures and expletives. In other words, they was getting cussed out, basically. And it says, um... These Goy, uh, this Goy family. They weren't having it. Spade, this Spade came out and says, y'all don't throw no snow over here. And, and they, they was not having it. So apparently Spade said, I'll show you. Went back in the house, got a gun, came back and started shooting at him. Now, I mean, what's wrong with these people, these Goy, Goy people, you know, what's wrong with these people? This guy come out and say, Hey, you sh- first of all, they shouldn't have been shoveling snow on this guy's property to begin with. Now, if you were too clueless to figure that out, then when this guy comes out and says, Hey, you know, don't, don't, don't put snow over here. Then the response should have been my bad, my mistake, whatever the case, I'm sorry, whatever they say, didn't mean no harm. You know, you could have stopped something right there before it started. Could have ended it right then and there, but now they got to talk trash. And then this guy got guns and people got to get shot. You know, and this is, and I think I said this on the last podcast. I mean, you know, these people get out here and they want to argue with these folks and lose their lives. And, you know, some people look, like I said, they don't mind dying for the cause and that's fine. But like your life should be worth more than a, a, a murdered over a, a shoveling altercation. You know what I mean? So, but people live how they want to live. So it is what it is. All right. Now here's something here that happened out in Arizona at a Bath and Body Works. Now this video kind of went viral. Uh, Scottsdale, Arizona. Bath and Body Works out there in Scottsdale. Now, apparently there was some kind of commotion going on here with these women. There were some women standing in line. And it wasn't just a fight. It was a brawl that took place between customers and employees at this Bath and Body Works. It says, through an investigation, police said an argument and a confrontation escalated into a physical fight between two groups of people over cutting in line. Police interviewed the women involved, employees and witnesses and reviewed the surveillance video. And what they came up with was a mother was waiting in line to pay with her baby in a stroller. She was standing off to the side in an attempt to physically distance. Three related women waiting in line together stepped up to pay and the mother asked so they could see her and her baby standing there. And apparently what went on after that is they had some words back and forth and the fight just escalated. And a video of this confrontation shows four employees attempting to separate the woman and telling the young woman and her mother-in-law to leave. And if you read the story, I mean, this article goes into a lot of details. She said this, she did that. Mother-in-law said that mother pushes this and that, and bags are flying and stuff just going everywhere at this Bath and Body Works over people cutting in line. You know, and I don't know if people who do these types of things, uh, like these ladies that cut in line. Now, you never know if these people intentionally try to cut in front of you, or maybe they just honestly don't see you. Now, it used to be when I was coming up, and maybe the rules have changed if you walk up and you see people, cause you know, you have some of these people, they kind of, they're standing in line, but they're not really standing in line. They're kind of standing off to the side or, and this is even before social distancing. So you really don't know if they're in line or if they're just kind of hanging around. So what do you do? You ask, you know, you say, oh, are you waiting in line? And they'll say, yeah, or they'll say no. And then you proceed from there. You know, that's typically how it works. So I'm saying that to say that I never know if these people who do these types of things that cut in line, if they do it intentionally, or not and, and and if that's the case like even if they didn't ask if the person says i'm in line or according to this story here don't you see me standing here if your intent isn't to cut in front of that person and you you say oh my bad and you know you let them go on especially in this era of social distancing because i've been in some of these stores where they might have a long line and the stores a lot of these stores really are set up for social distancing and you have to kind of figure out if people are in line or they're not in line, you know, so you have to kind of figure it out before you just jump in front of folks. So, I mean, that's the way I would handle it, but I know people do things differently. But my only point in saying that is unless you're going to Bath and Body Works looking to get in a fight with people, um, you can de-escalate a lot of this stuff if you just use a little common sense or just think a little bit. Because I, I imagine that these three women, that cut in front of this lady with the baby stroller. I imagine that if the roles were reversed, they wouldn't want anybody cutting in front of them. So. So you treat people accordingly, you know. But when you all hear me talk about lack of civility, this is what it is, you know. Now, this next story, you heard me talk about this on the last podcast. These anti-mask wearing people who like to roll up in these places, uh, knowing that you're supposed to put on a face mask and they don't want to do it. And what happens when people approach them, like the staffers and things that work at these, uh, in this particular case, this was a school. A high school basketball game when staffers ask these people to put on a mask there's a mask mandate you got to wear a mask well, they don't want to do it they want to give you grief they want to give you an attitude and in some instances it winds up where people are fatally murdered that's what happened in this case here you had a guy here by the name of John shallowhorn a thirty five year old man It says he tried to walk into a gym but he wasn't wearing a face mask. The staffer blocked his weight, but this thirty five year old shallowhorn wasn't having it, so he says he wound up punching a staffer, and then you had the university police officer that came over. A guy by the name of Martinez Mitchum says he was working security. He rushed to help, and then that's when the Shalhorn pulled out a gun and wound up fatally shooting Mitchum in the chest, sending players and fans scurrying for safety. Wow! All because this 35-year-old Shalhorn didn't want to wear a mask. And this is kind of the danger, too, when you have a lot of people walking around carrying weapons because they want you to challenge them because they know they got the upper hand because they're carrying a weapon. You know, you say something to me, I got the upper hand because I can shoot and kill you. And that's what happened here in this case, all because this guy didn't want to put on a face mask. Now you got a guy murdered because of it. another guy sitting in jail. And then all these people that might have been traumatized just going to watch a basketball game over a damn face mask. I mean, it doesn't make any sense at all. And by the way, Texas and Mississippi and a lot of these states that are opening up, you're going to see a lot more of these stories because you're going to have these anti-mask people coming in. Now that they've opened up 100 percent, businesses are going to require these people to put on a face mask and they're going to come in and they're not going to want to do it. The fatal shooting is the latest in deadly incidents over face mask mandates meant to slow the spread of coronavirus. Last May, Family Dollar Security Guard in Michigan was killed after ordering a customer to mask up. In August in Pennsylvania, another guy uh, was charged with firing an AK-47 at a police officer after arguing about wearing a face mask. So this kind of stuff is going on all across the country. So on one hand, you're trying to save lives by asking people to wear a face mask. But people are also getting their lives taken because these idiots don't want to comply and they can't handle it. They get attitudes, they pull out guns and they start shooting people. You know, but idiots and assholes come a dime a dozen. This is the era that we live in these hotheads walking around here with guns, you say something to them they don't like, their first reaction is to take out a gun and shoot at you. You know, and I don't know if these people have anger issues or if they were bullied in school when they were kids and they didn't, they're adults now and they ain't having it. I don't know what the issue is with a lot of these people, but I'm going to tell you something, man, if we don't start having a conversation as to what the hell is going on in the minds of some of these, uh, of some of these people, then um, this stuff is going to continue to go on. every time i see your face makes me wanna sing whatever happened to rome i guess he would be classified as a one-hit wonder although i don't know how big that track was uh what was the name of it um i belong to you i think was the name of it yeah i don't know how big of a hit it was i know that they played it on the radio stations here what was it the late 90s if i'm not mistaken yeah, I went to the record store, man. I bought that cassette single when it came out. But from what I remember, that was the only track that he really had out. A friend of mine, uh, well, a co-worker, around about the late 90s and Rome was being played on the radio. Uh, a co-worker of mine was really in the Rome. As a matter of fact, he was the one told me, and I'm sitting here now thinking about this uh, as I'm talking. Some kind of way we got on the subject of that track, it had been out for some months. I mean, it, it had probably been out for a couple years. I don't know. He was telling me Rome got a new album out. I said, I didn't even hear the old album he had. And I guess that was his debut album that had that track on there, I Belong To You. I said, I never even heard that album. He said, oh, man, I'm going to let you borrow the CD. You got to check that one out. And then after you check that one out, I'm going to let you borrow the the new CD so you can get into that one. And I'm going to be honest with you. I don't remember. um, I think I might have made a copy of it or something or the other, but I don't remember listening to it or it didn't make an impression on me when I remember the only thing that really stood out to me that I belong to you track and and what stood out to me was that the album version was slightly different than the single version or the radio version I guess is what they call it I think the chorus was more prominent on the radio version than on the uh, album but I'm telling you that's how I guess that's how unimpressed I was or un I shouldn't say unimpressed that's too strong of a it didn't make that much of an impression on me. There was nothing on that album that I, that really stood out to me where I said, Oh man, I'm going to have to go out and buy it. But, uh, yeah, but Rome kind of came and went, man. I never heard nothing else from him uh, on the radio. I'm pretty sure he's probably still making music somewhere, but, um, yeah, that's all I ever remember from him. I wonder if there's some Rome fans out there listening. And, uh, remember, uh, silent, another guy too, that came out around that time. And I always think about his song comes up on my playlist. He's a, Definitely, and I don't even know if you would call him a one-hit wonder because I don't know how big the track was. Um guy by the name of Jay Coz- Cozier, C-O-Z-I-E-R, I believe it's how it's spelled. Cozier, Cozier. That's how you spell it. You can figure out how to pronounce it, like I always say. But uh, he had a track called, I think it's called She's All Like Gat. One Day She Loves Me, One Day She Loves Me Not, I Ain't letting her Go because She's All Like Gat. I think it's how that chorus went. Yeah, he came out around that time, too. And I remember Um, I remember hearing that record on the radio a couple of times, but not frequently. But I heard it enough to know that I liked it. And I, again, I, I went out to the record store to see if I could find it. And this was kind of around the time where they were the record industry was kind of getting away from singles, CD singles, cassette singles, uh, 45s have long been. I mean, if you, if you found a 45 somewhere, I mean, you were really uh, <laughs> I mean, I was like finding a needle in the haystack who's that had their record needle in the haystack finding a good man is like finding a needle in the haystack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Velvettes, I believe. Well, anyway, this is around the time that they were getting away from um, releasing singles because they really wanted you to just go out and buy the whole album. You know, you might like a track or two from an artist. And instead of you spending a dollar 99 or three ninety nine, 99, whatever, whatever the hell it costs will force you to buy the whole album. That was kind of the concept behind that. So if you heard a song on the radio around that time and you were actually lucky enough to be able to go out to the record store, find a single version of it, instead of having to buy the whole album. I mean, that that was always to your benefit. But yeah, I was able to find his single. And I remember it was a CD single. And I think it had like that. I think it had that song and like an instrumental or something. And I ain't never heard nothing else from Jay Cozier, Cozier, Cozier. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know whatever happened to him. There was a lot of uh, one-hit wonders around that time. A lot of uh, R&B one-hit wonders around that time. There was, this was kind of around the time when people were saying, oh, R&B is starting to fall off, you know. Only people around that time that were really making having any kind of huge success with R&B was R. Kelly and Mary J. Blige. Usher, from what I can remember, that was really about it, <laughs> you know. I mean, there were other ones out there, but, I mean, they were like the, the cream of the crop, you know. But yeah, Rome i might go back and try to check that album out again, too. Well, all that aside, you know, a lot of times when Silent DJ and I go to look for stories to talk about in this podcast, sometimes we tend to come across odd or bizarre story. And sometimes when you read these things, it makes you ask the question. I mean, really, you wonder, like, what the hell are people thinking? Now, this story here, This happened out in Hollywood. The Los Angeles Police Department arrested six people for allegedly altering the famous Hollywood sign to read Holly Boob. So what these six people wound up doing, they wound up covering the letters of the W and the D to look like the letter B. By affixing what appeared to be tarps to the sign. Now, according to the LAPD sergeant, a guy by the name of Leonard Calderon, it says they didn't commit any permanent damage, but they were taken into custody on suspicion of misdemeanor trespassing. They were later issued citations and released on their own recognizance. Now, according to these six people that wound up um, screwing around with this Hollywood sign, the purpose for them doing it was they were trying to make they were trying to raise awareness for breast cancer. So they took the time to go up and screw around with the Hollywood sign and to make it say Holly boob. So if you were driving around in Los Angeles and you happen to look up and you thought you saw Holly Boob, then, yeah, you probably did. And apparently these six people have a lot of time on their hands to even try to figure something like that out. But, you know, I mean, with coronavirus, I guess everybody's uh, got a lot of extra time on their hands. Right. And by the way, according to this article, that isn't the first time that's happened, by the way, says in January 2017, a man altered the famous Hollywood sign to read Holly Weed. So people are just running up there and screwing around with the letters to the Hollywood sign. Uh, I'm trying to figure out how the hell did it even get up there. I guess uh, I mean I've never um, been to Hollywood where I can see, but every time I see the photo of those letters, it, it looks like it's way up in the hills somewhere. But apparently you can get up there because these people are going up there screwing around with <laughs> screwing around the letters. So there you have it. All right, well this story ought to make you feel good. Any of you all out there to do a lot of flying? I'm pretty sure you'll appreciate this story. It says, uh, United Flight 1061. Passenger said he accidentally hit the pepper spray on his keychain and let loose. Uh, one passenger by the name was Joseph, G-R-A-N-D-E. That's how you spell it. You can figure out how to pronounce it. I don't know if it's Grande or Grand. But it says everybody started coughing. And during, and during COVID, everybody starts looking around. It says passengers were given an option to get off the plane according to the report, but it says uh, that Joseph and his fiance were among those who opted to catch a later flight. She was still coughing and I still felt it, he told Fox News 4. I was like, this isn't going away, so that's why we decided to hop off. I mean, if you can get another flight, I wouldn't blame him unless you just had somewhere to be at a certain time. The question is, I mean, how did this guy get this pepper spray on the plane in the first place? Which is, if I'm a passenger, that's what I want to know. I'm like, well, if, if this guy can get pepper spray on and no telling what, what, are, what are other passengers carrying on the plane. You know what I mean? So well, here we go a little further into the article. It says pepper spray is not permitted in carry-on bags, according to the TSA. Passengers can bring one four-ounce container of mace or pepper spray in check baggage as long as it has a safety mechanism to prevent accidental discharge which apparently this guy must not have had that. Agents at the airport were given a refresher course to ensure that they can spot them in the future. Yeah, well, so, so yeah, so somebody screwed up there, but TSA ain't the only one up here missing stuff. Check the story out here. Here's a woman in California. It says um, she wound up going to the DMV to renew her license. And, you know, when you go into these places now, you have to wear a face mask. So this woman by the name of Leslie Pilgrim so she's waiting to get her license renewed, and and she finally gets up there to get her to take a picture, but she's got her face mask on. It says the California resident said that she waited for the DMV employee behind the camera to let her know when it was the right time for her to take her mask off. She says, when I got up there, I got to the front of the line. I didn't take it off. I got in front of the backdrop to take my picture. I still didn't take it off. And the next thing that anybody said to me, was looking to the camera and I heard a quick click, and then I realized he had taken a picture with my mask on. The employee who snapped the photo realized their mistake and took another one with her face mask off. But of course, this is the way things work. Several days later, when she received her driver's license in the mail, the photo on the license was a picture of her wearing her gray face mask. So the people who put the photo on the driver's id look like they would have been like wait a minute we can't send this out with a woman uh wearing a face mask but they did it and she got it so uh, here's a woman here she went to a thrift store in seattle to get a crochet kit and when she opened it up she discovered it had a kilo of cocaine in it said the woman immediately called the police who seized the suspicious package and later confirmed it contained one kilogram or 2.2 pounds of cocaine. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> wow. Hey Silent, do you remember we read a similar thing where um somebody had uh bought Nintendo cartridges, those old the old school ones where you slide them into the thing and uh they found uh crack cocaine or something was hidden in the cartridge? According to this article, man, according to this article. That's not the first time it's happened. It says, um, it says a similar thing happened in Arizona when parents bought their child a toy glow worm at a thrift shop, and they found a sandwich bag containing five thousand pills of suspected fentanyl inside. Man, talk about a lick! Wow, five thousand pills of fentanyl. I don't know. I might have had to keep that one there. And... <laughs> No, 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 no. You, you call the police. They, they did the right thing. You call the police and let them come pick it up. And there you go. So apparently this must be a thing where people are hiding stuff. And I know what happened. They probably hid it and forgot that they put it in there. Or, or maybe that's kind of a transactional thing. Uh, you know, I left it in a crochet kit at the thrift store. Go pick it up. Because I mean, how many people, who the hell is going to walk into a thrift store buying a crochet kit? You know, you're probably thinking, I ain't nobody going come in here and buy one of these. Or what are the odds of somebody coming in and buying a damn crochet kit? You know, all right, we'll do one more. This happened in North Carolina. Shout out to all the people out there in North Carolina. Now, apparently what went on here was it says, um, firefighters reporting a call about a fire at a restaurant on Saturday night discovered that the smoke reported by the passerby wasn't a result of fire, but rather 10,000 chicken wings. The eatery (gasps) staff was preparing for a Super Bowl order. It's a place called uh, a place called Ronnie's Pizza out there in Clemens, North Carolina. It says the motorist called the fire department after seeing a plume of smoke coming from the restaurant on February 6th, and they got a picture in there showing uh, the smoke and all the um and the fire trucks and what have you. I mean, and there is a lot of smoke coming up out of there. I probably would have thought the same thing riding past, but um. So it said, while it looked bad when we got there." It turns out their hard staff were just preparing roughly 10,000 chicken wings for a Super Bowl Sunday. And you know, Silent, I'm thinking about this too. I rode past, a, uh, I was riding down, I believe it was uh, Jefferson, I, I think I was, it was either Jefferson or the Splains. I was riding down, they got a Buffalo chicken wing spot, and this was on Super Bowl Sunday. And I remember riding past and I said, man, this is a, show. a lot of cars going to get some damn chicken wings. But I remember a little bit later on that it was Super Bowl Sunday. I mean, there were so many cars I could barely get past, but then that's what it was. It was a Super Bowl Sunday. So, yeah, too bad we can't go out to North Carolina and check out Ronnie's Pizza. yeah well if you recognize that sound effect you know that it's time for a segment that we call from howard to 95th now i'm gonna tell you what i'm gonna do from now on starting now it's going to be called from 95th to howard and i'm changing it for no other reason than i just think it sounds better to say from 95th to howard now if you're new to this podcast and you don't know what the segment is the red line is a major public transit Rail service in Chicago, it goes from the far south side to the far north side. 95th out south, the Howard Street stop up north, up there by Loyola University, where my mother graduated from many years ago. As a matter of fact, she was pregnant with me in her senior year, so that gives you an idea how long ago it was. And Howard Street is right up there on the north side on the edges of the city, going into one of the northern suburbs, Evanston. There used to be a little convenience store that I would go up to. This is back in my hanging out days. There used to be a convenience store on Broadway, a couple of blocks north of that uh, Howard stop from the red line. I don't know if that store is still there or not. It's been years since I've been out that way. I don't believe that they're still open, but they might be. I don't know. Like I said, it's been years since I've been out there. But the whole purpose of the segment, if you've ever been on the red line, you know that they have some very interesting characters that ride that train and when I would look for topics to talk about in this podcast, what I noticed is that the red line has so much stuff happening. So we were able to create a segment dedicated to the nonsense that goes on, on the red line train. And for example, here you have a story here. It's about a 45 year old man was stabbed during a robbery on the CTA red line train, train heading from Berwyn to Argyle. That's up North near about 10 30 PM on Tuesday when he was approached by someone armed with a box cutter. Now, according to the story, man, the robber asked the guy for the time and just began stabbing him and then took his wallet and left the train at the Argyle stop. Says the man that was stabbed was taken to Weiss Memorial Hospital where he was stabilized. No one has been taken into custody. Now, this next one, you heard me talk about this uh, on the last podcast about these people that wander around on the train tracks. Here you got a guy here. It says, CTA red line had to be rerouted for an hour to the elevated tracks on, on Monday between Fullerton and Surmac Chinatown stations due to a person found on the tracks near grand station. The transit authority first announced trains were standing near grand at about four or 5 and rerouted service to the elevated tracks around the loop about 20 minutes later. It says authorities had to search for the person walking on the tracks, but were unable to find them. Now, this article is in the Chicago Sun-Times. By the way, Silent, they got a misspelling here. It says uh, they were unable to find them. They got F-I-N-E instead of F-I-N-D. But uh, now check this out. This story is going to lead me into the next story where it says that same Monday afternoon, Red Line trains were already bypassing the 69th Street station on that same Monday afternoon after a shooting happened on the South Side platform. A 53-year-old man was wounded Monday by stray gunfire as two other people shot at each other inside a Southside CTA Red Line station. The shootout happened at about 3.20 p.m. in the mezzanine of the 69th Street station. The man was shot in the arm and taken to the University of Chicago Medical Center where he was listed in good condition. No arrests have been made. Wow. I mean, can you imagine standing at the station and people just start having a shootout? You know, you're just trying to get from point A to point B, and um, you get caught in a shootout. It's crazy. And I don't. And who knows what the hell was so important where people had to have a shootout at a CTA station on a Monday afternoon. You know, unbelievable. Well, maybe I should rephrase that. In this city, it's believable. No doubt about it. We got one more here. It says, um, now according to this story, this is about a 29-year-old man uh, by the name of Clarence McNeely from Country Club Hills, that's a southern suburb outside of Chicago, 29-year-old man says he was found dead at the 63rd Street station at about 2 p.m. It is unclear how he died and an autopsy determining the cause of death has not yet been released. So they just found this uh, 29-year-old McNeely dead at the CTA station. And as a result, obviously, the train just bypassed the station until the incident was resolved you hear me read these stories now i got to tell you for the most part and it might not sound like it but for the most part you can ride these trains i mean i've been riding the red line train on and off for years and the stuff doesn't happen but the thing about the red line it sees a lot of traffic man i mean there are a lot of people that ride that train now i don't know what's been going on since uh COVID and a lot of these stay-at-home restrictions and whatever you know what have you but typically under normal circumstances there are a lot of people if you ride that train you know it sees a lot of traffic, man. And I'm going to tell you something. The last time I rode that train, well, one of the last times anyway, early in the morning, I had a training to go to. This was right before COVID hit. This was January of 2020 before um they started shutting things down. Rush hour. And I knew, and I dreaded getting on a train because I knew it was going to be packed. And sure enough, I don't know if you've ever seen those pictures of like in the movies or whatever, people are packed on a train like sardines. Well, Sure enough, I mean, the train pulls up and man, I mean, you could barely squeeze on the train. So my point is that train sees a hell of a lot of traffic under normal circumstances. You know, and like I said, this was right before COVID, and it wasn't nobody masked up or nothing, because you know, COVID was not, you know, there was talks about it, but it wasn't like it wasn't a real thing here yet, you know. So if there was ever a chance to catch it, they you could have on, you know, riding those trains particularly when people weren't wearing masks or what have you. So, but my point is when you have so many people riding on a public transit system, you never really know who's getting on or what kind of issues they got or what they're carrying. You just never know. So, so it can be an adventure. I haven't heard that in a while. It's that old Brothers Johnson. Tomorrow, produced by the uh, great legendary Quincy Jones. You know what's crazy about that song Silent? I didn't realize that the first time I heard that song obviously was the Tevin Campbell version, which is the um which was also produced by Quincy Jones from that uh, back on the Block album came out what in about the late 80s, 87, 88, somewhere around up in there. And it was like all over the radio. Uh, at least it was here in Chicago, but I, I know that was also the album, too, that had Secret Garden on there. I'll be sure, and I think James Ingram was on there, and um, Barry White. I want to know all the secrets in your garden. Yeah, yeah, man, I haven't heard that. Out. I might have to go back and uh, check that album out, and I never heard the whole thing. I just heard the songs they played on the radio, because back then, you know, it's streaming now. You can pull that stuff up, but back then, you had to go to the record store and buy it. And I didn't have the money just to run out and buy every album. So, yeah, I might have to go back and listen to that out. As a matter of fact, I'm going to put that on my uh, playlist so I don't forget. But, yeah, um, this song, man, I didn't hear this song until, until the Tevin Campbell version came out. And it was some years later that I realized that, oh, this was a remake of this instrumental, which I guess Quincy Jones just took the same thing and said, well, add some lyrics and we'll update it for Back on the Block. Or maybe they already had the lyrics around and just didn't use them back in the day. I mean, I don't know, but, and obviously this is a lesser known version. The only thing I've ever known about the Brothers Johnson, Strawberry Letter 23. And they had another track too that was pretty uh, popular from what I remember, uh, Stomp. Yeah, yeah, that's that, that, that's a bad jam there too. Oh, that's, a happening, that's a happening record. Yeah, you're playing this now, Silent. I'm going to have to go find this and add it to my playlist. We're going to be talking about streaming a little later on in the podcast. Well, so that's that. Now this next segment that I want to get into, it's, it's another flashback. You heard me earlier in the podcast when I talked about Joan ringing up fake returns and what have you. Well, I just recently came across another story that reminded me of a story that I read earlier on the podcast surrounding a party bus. So we're going to play this clip and then we're going to come back and get into, um, the story. I saw this article and for some reason or another, I just couldn't get it out of my head. Man choked birthday girl shot two others on a party bus in Lakeview. The guy is 31 years old and he says he's convicted of aggravated battery and unlawful use of a weapon. He was one of roughly 20 guests who spent late Saturday and early Sunday cruising the North side in a party bus to celebrate a woman's birthday says he got into an argument with another passenger and the woman celebrating her birthday jumped in to intervene and break the two apart. So that was the first thing that happened. So after that happened, that wasn't good enough for this guy. He gets into a second argument and then she tries to break it up again. So, but this time, but this time the guy, this this Haynes winds up choking the girl and then the guest jumped in to try to stop him from choking her. And what does he do? He pulls out a gun and he starts shooting at people on a party bus and it says he wound up shooting a 22 year old man in the neck. So this woman invites you to come hang out with her on a birthday. And at some point you decided you need to bring a gun, which like you should know the people that you're getting on the bus with. And if you feel the need to bring a gun, then you probably shouldn't be getting on the bus with them. And listen, people go to parties, you know, to get a little tipsy, to have a little too much to drink or maybe have too much to smoke, whatever the case may be. And, you know, there's always going to be that one guy that wants to start an altercation somewhere. Now, this woman who was throwing a birthday party, I wonder if she knew that this guy was a hothead. So this is what I mean. I mean, like, life just does not have to be this difficult, man. I mean, yeah, I remember reading that, too. That was like in January that that happened. It was the first podcast we had recorded for that year, Uh, whatever the year was. I don't remember. Well, this next news story I want to get into came out in New York, and it was surrounding another incident on a party bus. Now, I'm going to play the audio. A party bus found packed with people and weapons.
2: That's what police say they discovered in Brooklyn after a tip. CBS 2's Jessica Moore reports. Cell phone video shows the moment police bust a party bus full of guns around 12.30 Friday morning.
1: They were uh, just doing their duties. They started to get hear rumblings about this, um, this party bus that was carrying all these guns, these individuals with all these guns. The squad quickly and identified the bus and found a safe location to pull it over.
2: That place was the corner of Front and York Streets in Dumbo, Brooklyn. After following up on social media chatter, police discovered eight loaded guns inside the bus, along with 58 rounds of ammunition seen here. They arrested 14 people, including 11 adults and three juveniles.
1: I want to praise the officers as they continue to take the guns off our streets.
2: The situation is also raising COVID concerns, as police say 41 people were on board the bus, possibly celebrating an 18th birthday party. On its website, the CEO of Party Bus Express LLC says a party bus is a better alternative for events because people will only be exposed to guests they're familiar with. The statement goes on to say, quote, continue the party without hesitation. Party Bus Express declined to comment on the arrests involving one of its buses, but insists its COVID precautions are adequate. The Department of Health would not comment on COVID capacity restrictions for private bus companies we also reached out to the governor's office but have not yet heard back those arrested now face weapons charges jessica moore cbs2 news
1: yeah now i'm gonna be honest with you i really wouldn't have had to go to new york to find a story like that i mean some about these party buses man i don't know what goes on on these things and i mean i've never been on a party bus it sounds like a good time like i guess it's a party on wheels you know much like they had those boat parties and things where they go on on the, on the uh boat and sail out into the uh, water. So I'm guessing the party bus is kind of like the same concept, only on land. Now, I don't know how many people out there listening have been on a party bus. I've never been on one. I've known people who have rented these things for like their birthdays or whatever. You know, I don't know what the security precautions are. And I don't know how people are getting on party buses carrying weapons. You know, maybe different companies have different rules. I don't know. Maybe some companies check people, maybe some don't. Maybe none of them do. Maybe, I don't know. But much like you just heard me say on that earlier recording, if you're in a situation where you need to get on a party bus with a gun, it's probably not the best um, place for you to go. Now, these people here, I don't know who they are or what their stories are or or what they're involved with. I mean, maybe they travel around the city on a regular basis carrying guns. I mean, I don't really know because the story doesn't get into who these people were or their backgrounds or none of that. So, I mean, I have no idea, but And I was listening to the statement that this uh, name of the place, uh, Party Bus Express, and the stuff that they were reporting that was on their website sounded. It just sounds ridiculous. Now you guys heard the news broadcast, but it says something along the lines of, and I don't remember verbatim, but it says something along the lines of, well, the advantages of using a party bus is you're partying with people that you know. So I'm thinking, well, that doesn't mean that they don't have COVID. I mean, if you're still partying with 41 people, I mean, if that's the case. And we could all be having parties in our homes, you know, but they're telling people they don't want a lot of people gathering in their homes and at these uh, events, whether it's people, you know, or not, because it's not like you can't catch COVID from people that, you know, you know, people that, you know, can come in with COVID and they might not even know that they have it and give it to you and you spread it once you leave this party, but spread it to whomever you spread it to. So, yeah, so I really don't understand the logic behind that statement. And I don't know if, um, well, I'm going to tell you really what's going on with that. And this is something that you hear me talk about frequently on this podcast. Profit over people. That's really what it boils down to. Profit over people. Uh, Party Bus Express don't give a damn about people spreading COVID as long as they're making a few bucks. That's really what this is about. People run businesses. They got to get paid. I I mean, this is a capitalistic society. People need to get paid. No doubt about it. They don't give a damn whether people are spreading Corona around or not as long as their buses are being rented. Now, they said they took proper COVID precautions, but I mean, I don't know if I can really trust that. I mean, you got a bunch of people getting on a bus with weapons. Where I mean, where are the proper precautions there, you know? What kind of security precautions are you taking? I mean, even when you go to the nightclubs, they don't just let people walk in with weapons because they don't want a shootout to happen. Just like you heard me talking about in the earlier podcast, especially when you got people partying, and I'm sure there's some substances involved. 41 people packed on the bus. With weapons, you know, how the hell is that safe? I was also scrolling down and reading some of the comments. One of these comments kind of stood out to me. Here's a guy here. This is one of these, uh, what I call coded comments. The way the Blasio has it set up, the party bus operations will go to jail, if they refuse service to certain people. So certain people is cold word for black. I mean, no doubt about it. And then here's a person here. And she left a comment in response to him. She says, I'm black and I agree as well. This city is turning into Chicago. I find myself afraid of my own people more than any other group. And it's sad. Well, and I'm not going to call these people's names, but I would tell her maybe she needs to go back and look at, uh, one, the guy that made this comment, that's number one. And number two, maybe she needs to go back and look at the events that happened on January 6th between insurrectionists, these mass shootings, plots to kidnap governors, And no accountability being held, people sending pipe bombs and things through the mail. You know, she might want to rethink that statement, but whatever. I mean, you feel how you feel. But this whole thing about this city is turning into Chicago. Listen, and I'm going to say this again. Y'all better start listening to me when I tell you stuff on this podcast. For how many years now have I been telling people, I've been saying that you guys got to pay attention. Chicago has an issue with gun violence, no doubt about it but people pay attention to what's been going on in this country. Violent crimes have been on the rise in a lot of major cities. And it's not just a Chicago problem. They're shooting people all over the country. There are way too many irresponsible people walking around carrying guns, too many angry people, too many people that have no respect for their fellow man, lack of civility. These are things that you hear me say on this podcast frequently. So this whole business about Chicago is turning into Chicago. No, I mean, this is not just a Chicago problem. But see, the problem is everybody's been so focused on, oh, what's going on in Chicago and 400 people shot in a year and all this kind of mess. And no doubt about it. I mean, the numbers are high, but while you're focusing on Chicago, they're not paying attention to what's going on across the country. And then before you know it, you're talking about your city is turning into Chicago. Gun violence in America is symptoms of a bigger problem. And again, profit over people. I don't know if we have anybody out there listening in the state of Kentucky, but if we do, shout out to you guys. But I got to be honest with you. I, for the life of me, cannot figure out what in the world is the appeal to you guys with Mitch McConnell. I, I really don't understand it. And I only ask that because I'm here in Illinois. I don't know all of the local news that goes on in Kentucky. I see things every now and then, but I don't really know what goes on in the state of Kentucky overall. But Mitch McConnell must be doing some really great things out in in Kentucky because I, I, for the life of me, do not understand the appeal of Mitch McConnell. Now, I'm not talking about people who see things through a partisan lens or he says no to the Democrats and he fights the Democrats at every turn and he always says no to them. These aren't the people I'm talking about. I know what the appeal is for McConnell with you guys. People I'm talking about are average everyday Joe Blow men and women we are getting up every day, they're going to work, they're busting their asses, they're paying their taxes. You guys are the ones I'm asking this question to. McConnell, what is the appeal of Mitch McConnell? Because from everything that I've seen here, I really can't see anything that he's done for average, everyday blue-collar men and women, middle class, lower middle class. And the reason why I'm asking this is because, you know, this debate that's been going on with these politicians about this um, relief package now, based on everything I've seen, an overwhelming amount of Americans support this bill, this uh, relief bill. Anywhere from 76 to 80 percent of Americans support this bill. Now, last time I checked in this country, the majority wins. That's the whole point of a democracy is where the majority wins. So I'm saying that to say that there really shouldn't be any debate amongst these politicians. If the American people I always hear them talking about we're working for the American people, the American people, this, the American people, that. They're always talking about the American people, but I mean, 80% of Americans that support this bill, I mean, there's no debate about that. So if you, if you're there for the American people, there should be no doubt that you need to pass this relief bill. What the hell is the debate about? But you got people like McConnell and others and, 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 and I hate to say this, but it always seems to fall when you're talking about doing things for the working class people in this country, these Republicans, for some reason, They never seem to be on board with it. They don't want to raise minimum wage. They don't want to pass the relief bill. And then if they do, they want to strip a whole bunch of things out of it. Why can't working class people catch a break from these politicians? I don't understand. I just really don't understand it. Now McConnell, and the reason why I'm bringing this up is because I saw a quote from McConnell as it relates to this relief package. Now, by all indications, it's going to pass regardless as to what McConnell thinks. And a lot of these Republicans who, uh, who seem to be voting against it. I mean, the bill is going to pass. But I saw this quote from McConnell. And to be quite honest with you, it was really kind of offensive when I read it. Now, this is uh, he did some interview with Fox News. He was being interviewed by a lady with the name of Martha McCullum, I believe it's how you pronounce it. And she asked him, she says, does he think that a $1,400 stimulus check would prevent some people from wanting to work? McConnell said that that was a concern that informed his position to oppose direct payments. He went on to say that there is a concern about making it more advantageous to stay home rather than to go back to work. Now, I don't know what you guys heard in that statement, but I'm going to tell you what I took from that. These 80 percent of Americans that want this um, relief bill passed. McConnell is saying that the American people are too lazy to go back to work once they receive a fourteen hundred dollar stimulus check. So now, here's what I'm curious about: How many people out there that listening? People, you got bills to pay, you got kids to raise, you got mouths to feed. You get a fourteen hundred dollar check in the mail. Now you're going to sit at home and chill. Oh, no need to go back to work. I got a fourteen hundred dollar check. Now I don't know about you guys, but I find that statement to be offensive. Hey, Mitch. Most of the American people are hardworking individuals. We get up every day. We go to work. We bust our ass. We pay our taxes. People are not going to sit at home just because they get a $1,400 check. And this also shows how disconnected a lot of these politicians are from the American people. They think that you get a little bit of stimulus. You're going to sit at home and be looking for handouts for the rest of your life. No, it doesn't work like that. People get out every day. They go to work. They bust their asses. They pay their taxes. What's wrong with throwing them a little lifeline every now and then? And by the way, these people live lavish off of our tax dollars as it is. So these people are getting all kinds of freebies off of our tax dollars. So when it comes time to give a little something back, they don't want to do it. You know, something else I'm curious about, and I wonder if anybody out there knows the answer to this. What the hell are our tax dollars being used for? And I always hear general things. Oh, they go to fixing this and paying for that that. But I really don't know. And this is something I'm curious about. And I don't understand if they're taking your money out Shouldn't there be some kind of way where the American people can like an itemized list of where your tax dollars are going to? It seems to me like the government should be sending out at least once a year or every couple of years to everybody that pays taxes. An itemized list of of what your tax dollars are being put towards. One percent goes here. Five percent goes there. A breakdown of this and that. You know, and I don't know, maybe there's something out there or like on a website or something, I'm going to have to do some more research into it, but I don't know where my tax dollars are going to. And most of us know, like when you take your money and spend it, you know what you're spending it on. You get receipts, your money's in a bank, they send you bank statements every month. But these people in government, they take your money, you don't know where the hell it's going. Why? And how do you find that out? You know, this is money that we're working for. So like, where the hell is this money going? And why don't they tell us? But listen, I didn't have much of a point here. I just saw this statement by McConnell and it really angered me. You know, I mean, if this is his stance, he has a very low opinion of the American worker who pays his salary, by the way. But he keeps getting voted in office, so he must be doing something right. If you've been listening to this podcast any length of time, you know that I tend to go over the gun violence statistics for the previous year. Now, it's not something that I do every year, but on occasion, first podcast of the year, we tend to just flash back and look at some of the numbers. Now, last time I checked, around right about the end of December, we were sitting at about 750-some homicides. That number could have possibly gone up since then, but 750 is way too high for a major city. And by the way, this year in Chicago, January, February, in terms of gun violence, they say we've already outpaced the numbers this time last year. And by the way, when I was reading the numbers last year, it said the same thing about the year prior too. this came across my news feed, Philadelphia, 500 some homicides in 2020. And if that wasn't good enough in Philadelphia, you had 2000 some odd people that were victims of gun violence in 2020. Those sound like Chicago statistics. Violence has been skyrocketing in this country. A few random stories have been coming across my news feed. This came out of Atlanta. People at the movie theater that are watching the movie. Man and wife at the movie theater. couple comes in behind them. They're making all kinds of noise while the movie's going on. Ask them, can they keep the noise down? And this is something that you really shouldn't have to tell people. I mean, if you are going to the movies, I mean, if you want to talk, stay home. You know, what are you coming to the movie theaters to have a conversation for? But... Apparently, these people behind him were making so much noise, he had to turn around and ask them to quiet down. Well, the people that he asked that to couldn't handle it, so what does the guy do? He was with his girl. I guess he got to play Macho Man. Had a handgun in her purse, pulled it out, and started shooting at the guy in the movie theater. Also said in that same area, a few weeks earlier, there was another incident where some guy was firing at a group of teens. Now, I didn't really get into a whole lot of details as to what the hell this guy was firing at these teens about, but, I mean, this type of random Gun violence is going on all across the country. Here in Chicago, there's a mall called Ford City, a mall that I've been to countless number of times. Used to catch the 79th Street bus, ride it all the way out to Ford City. Sometimes you're hanging with friends, you go and you hang out. Sometimes I'm going by myself. But you had an incident there recently where Foot Locker, a guy's in a Foot Locker, he gets into an altercation with somebody, they have some words, next thing you know, gun is pulled out and shots are fired. One o'clock on a weekday afternoon. And by the way, these malls, Orland Square, it's a major mall out there in Orland Park, a suburb of Chicago, because they've had so many incidents as of late with um, ruckus amongst teenagers. They're not allowing any teenagers in after 3 p.m. unless they're accompanied by an adult. That's anybody under 17. So if you come in there, if you come in there, you're 15, 16 after 3 p.m. and you're going to hang out or whatever you do after school well, you got to have an adult with you. And the reason why they did that is because there was so much nonsense going on, fights and things that broke out, a shooting happened. And these incidents have been going on within the past two or three years. So the mall just said, well, this year, 2021, we've had enough. Now, I don't know how much of a difference that's going to make when you have grown adults that are walking around with weapons and they're using them at the drop of a dime. But, you know, people, people I guess they got to do something, you know. Now, last year, I somewhat touched on this subject. This came out of Philadelphia. Violence amongst teens and women have been on the rise for some reason or another. There was a story I saw recently where a woman was at the gas station. She gets out of a car and she gets attacked by some guys. They take her car, drive off. I saw a couple stories about women getting attacked in New York. And now you see the story coming out of Philadelphia, violence against women and teens are on the rise. So something's going on in this country in terms of violence. Now, Here's the question that we need to ask ourselves as a society because the violence is out here. There's no doubt about it, but the question we need to start asking ourselves is why is it going on and how do we at best slow it down? I mean, you're never going to stop violent crime. Violence is always going to be around. No doubt about it, but how do how the hell do we slow it down? Like where are all these guns coming from? Who's pulling the triggers? Where are these people staying? If it's teens that are putting a lot of these triggers, where are the parents? I mean, how many times have you heard me say that on the podcast? You know, and then I hear people say things like, well, the parents are probably strung out or they're, they're somewhere doing X, Y, and Z and this, that, and other. Well, if that's the case, then that's a problem. And how do we solve it? Carjacking in the city, you hear me talk about that. As a matter of fact, that's all where it's even made national news. You've been hearing me talk about carjacking and a lot of teens and preteens have been caught up in it. Well, if that's the case, where are these people's parents at? I always hear about these kids getting arrested, but I never seem to hear where their parents are at. Well, the parents are here, there, and doing this, that, and other, and blah, 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 blah. Well, that's a problem. It doesn't let them off the hook. And if the parents are somewhere doing God knows what, they're bullshitting or doing whatever the hell they're doing, and the kids aren't being taken care of, well, who gets the worst end of the deal? Because the kids are going to be the one that has in and out of the system and juvenile this and court dates here and community service there and missing time in school and all this kind of stuff. And then you had these grown-ass adults who are grabbing these teens and they got them running out, committing crimes, carjacking folks, carrying weapons, handing them weapons. What the hell is going on with these people? You know, I don't know who these people are. I don't know if they're neighborhood people that find these kids or if they're related to them, maybe they're uncles or cousins or something. These grown adults that grab these kids and have them commit crimes. I don't know who these people are, but what do we do about it? These are conversations that we need to have. We need to find solutions. And I know the answers are out there. Listen, I I keep hearing about cancel culture. These people want to go back and hold folks accountable for stuff they said 20, 30 years ago. I saw where they were trying to cancel Eminem. And then I saw recently where they were going after David Letterman, of all people. You know, and I'm thinking, well, if we're focusing on going back and canceling people from 20 or 30 years ago from something stupid they said or did, What about canceling some of this stuff now in 2021, this violence and stuff? You know, and it's all right to be outraged, but get outraged about some of this stuff that's going on now. Violence against women, kids getting caught up in crimes, carrying weapons. I mean, there's enough stuff now to get outraged about. Damn, something that happened 30 years ago. And you would think in a society where everybody's so sensitive about everything. I mean, this stuff shouldn't be happening, you know? So I don't know what's going on out here. Look at what's going on with a lot of these politicians. They're running around now, and the majority of them, if not all, are Republicans. They're running around. They're trying to stop you from voting. They're coming up with all these voter suppression tactics. They're trying to keep people from voting. Voter fraud is pretty much a non-existent issue. Not a lot of evidence of voter fraud, but for some reason, they're fixated with taking away your right to vote. But you got all these murders and homicides going on as a result of guns in this country. But yet, that's not a problem. It's your right. I mean, there is no value being placed on human life in this country at all. On the last podcast, I talked about Chicago rapper King Von Passing. But right before he was murdered, I believe it was the same week or it might have been the week before, if I'm not mistaken, he had dropped an album on a Friday. You know, back in the day, the albums used to come out on Tuesdays. But now, since streaming and record stores have since um, there are a distant memory, now albums drop on Fridays. Well, I believe his album came out the Friday before he was murdered, if I'm not mistaken, but I'm saying that to say that I wound up listening to it that Tuesday on my commute home. I mean, I'm listening to this thing about three or four songs in, and I'm noticing that, man, these are some really short songs. And then my mind starts going like, well, maybe this is not an album, maybe this is like a mixtape or something. Because you know, typically when artists drop mixtapes, the format for a mixtape tends to be a little bit different than an official album. You know, uh, you have half songs and some things sound like unfinished ideas or people rapping over sample beats or singing, whatever the case may be. But typically albums have always kind of followed a certain format. There's X amount of um, songs on an album. But back to this King Von album, when I was listening to it, I noticed that the songs were really short and that's why I couldn't determine. I said, well, maybe this is like a mixtape or something. I really just didn't know. Now, lately, I haven't really listened to a whole lot of newer music and not so much because I don't have an interest in it. It's just that um, I'm just at the point in my life now where I've heard tons and tons of music. So there's a lot of music that I've grown up listening to and I'm just more familiar with. And instead of trying to get into something new, it's just a lot easier for me to put on stuff that I'm familiar with listening to, particularly when I'm driving in my car and I'm trying to catch a certain vibe. It's easier for me to put on music that I'm more familiar with because I know I know what I'm getting, you know, there are still some new artists that I do check for. Like if I know they're dropping a new album, uh, I'm going to make sure I make it a point to listen to it. And King Von is one of them. Dirk is one of them as well. And then, of course, a few weeks after Dirk dropped his album and I wound up checking that out. And then I noticed the same thing again, whereas I was listening to this album and the songs were really short. Like the first couple of songs clocked into like two minutes long or something or the other, you know. And I'm going to be totally honest. The first thing came to mind was that they were just being lazy. They were just putting out half songs. You know, that was the first thing that came to mind. I said, this newer generation, they're just throwing out a verse and a beat, and then that's a song, you know. So that was the first thing that came to mind. I said, well, these guys are just trying to make quick tracks, you know. Uh, But right after I heard Dirk's album, I want to say it was maybe about two or three days later, I was watching the news, and the story comes on about pop songs are getting shorter. So then the first thing I thought about were those albums, the Dirk album and the Vaughn album. I said, "Okay, so this is the new thing now where they're making shorter songs, you know, so it doesn't have anything to do with people just being lazy or half trying. That's just the direction that the industry is moving in now, you know, which is something that they talk about things repeating themselves. Back in the day, you go back to like the 60s and maybe the 50s. I don't know, but you cut the radio on. Typically, songs were no more than three minutes long. You would be hard-pressed to find a song that ran past 5 minutes. As a matter of fact, when The Doris came out with that song, Light My Fire, and it ran pretty long. It was kind of like a big deal. You know, and I don't I don't remember how long the song clocked in at, but it was uh it was definitely longer than 3 minutes. And there was all this debate about whether radio stations were going to play it or not cuz it was too long and it just broke away from the traditional format, you know. And it w- it was like a big deal, but that was kind of like a precursor to things to come. Because since then, I mean, songs have been you got some artists that have put out songs 10, 15 minutes long, especially during the disco era, you know, when songs were just really running long to keep people out on the dance floor. You know what I mean? You might pick up an album and it might have like four songs on it, but each song is probably like 20 minutes long. Isaac Hayes was good for that. Putting out these really long songs like I uh, wasn't like by the time I get to Phoenix, wasn't that like um, almost 18 minutes long or something or the other? Yeah, I mean, I know it ran pretty long. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I pulled it up on my streaming service. Yeah, Hot Buttered Soul came out in 69. The whole album consists of four songs. Walk On By, which is 12 minutes long. Then you got Hyperbolic, Syllabolic, Soul. Uh, you figure out how to pronounce it. I can't pronounce it. I never could pronounce that track. <laughs> I never could pronounce it, But um, which is actually a pretty good track. And it runs close to 10 minutes. You know, the first time I ever heard that um song was through a sample. It was, uh, Ice Cube on that um, Kill It Will album. Another track called one woman, five minutes and nine seconds. And then of course, by the time I get to Phoenix, which is almost like 20 minutes long, 1844, 18 minutes, 44 seconds. After I saw that story on the news broadcast, I decided to go back and do some more research and I came across an article that talks about that same thing. Uh, As a matter of fact, came across a couple of articles. Now this is the most recent one. I came across pop songs will get shorter in the future because the attention span Of young people has dropped by 33 percent since 2000 pop songs will get shorter on average by the end of the decade because of faltering attention spans and skipping culture on streaming services experts say attention spans for music fans has dropped from 12 seconds to eight seconds since the year 2000 according to research and because of that it says that musicians it's ever more important for musicians to draw listeners in early and keep their overall length of a track short and loud and load choruses up front. Now, according to this research, it says by the end of the decade, it is predicted that the average song will be a maximum of two minutes, putting the old three minute pop song cliche to rest. And they're blaming a lot of this too on streaming services. It says, because of streaming services like Spotify, Apple music, it has never been easier for music fans to skip to the next track. And because of this, It's causing a headache for artists to keep users' attention for long enough, making the wider music industry super competitive. By 2030, this market will manifest itself as short, catchy songs with early choruses, meaning subtle ballads and brooding instrumentals could be left behind in the streaming race. So in other words, some of these ballads that drag on. But I got to tell you something, to be honest with you, I've never really been a big fan of these ballads that just drag on and on and on and on. And if you know anything about 70s soul music, you know that those tracks dragged on and on and on. Uh, One song that always comes to mind that I love, but I can never get past the first three to four minutes of it, uh, Stairway to Heaven by the OJs. And it's an incredible record, but man, I'm telling you after the first, uh, after the first maybe what, three to four minutes, it's kind of like, okay, I get the point already. I'm going to tell you another old school classic that really could use a good edit that runs about seven minutes long. uh, Stevie Wonder, the track as, not as, but as, A-S, not A-S-S. That track runs on about seven minutes long, but it's just so repetitive towards the end. It's like, man, I could use a good fade at about maybe four or five minutes. But I'm serious, man. Some of these songs drag on and on and on and on, you know. So I don't know if this is something that's exclusive to this generation because I felt like that back in the day. But I guess the difference is we didn't have streaming back then. I mean, you just, whatever the album was, I mean, that's what it was, you know. Once you bought the album, I mean, you had it. <clears throat> it wasn't a thing where you could, you got a chance to, well, if you don't like it, I could skip it. Or well, if it ran on too long. Once you paid your 10 bucks or whatever the hell it cost to buy an album, the, the artists made their money up front. So this was never really an issue. What they're calling the skipping culture. This article also has given a couple of examples of albums. It says Drake and Kanye West's last two albums. Drake's average song length is 11% shorter on his most recent Scorpion than that of his previous album, Views. Kanye West followed the same pattern with his 2016 album, The Life of Pablo. The album has eight tracks with each running less than three minutes long. And not only are they talking about short attention spans, another thing they're pointing to also, it says services like Spotify and Apple Music are responsible for 80% of the music industry's overall revenue And what you have going on with these uh, Apple Musics and these Spotify's title and all the rest of them, they operate on a pay-per-play basis. The low streaming music layout have caused song lengths to decrease. Spotify pays major artists between anywhere from 4 to $0.08 per stream. This gives an artist the incentive to create shorter tracks. So I'm going to tell you, I'm going to take a couple of things from that last point. Maybe these artists are saying, well, listen, we're only getting about $0.04 per track. And, and four cents is usually the, the standard. Now these big names like these Drake's and Kanye's and Beyonce, they they might be getting about eight cents per stream, but I'm wondering if what they're saying here is that a lot of these artists, since they're not really making a whole lot of money off of um, streaming, why should they be putting out these long ass songs when they're only getting like four cents a stream? That's number one. And number two, when you're talking about these people getting paid from a streaming service, you have to stream their song longer than 30 seconds. So, like, if you click on a song and you only play the first maybe 10 to 15 seconds, well, the artist is not going to get paid. But if you play it for about a minute or so, then, yeah, they're going to receive those royalties. So, also what I'm taking from this in terms of why they're trying to make quick, catchy songs to keep you from turning away past the first 30 seconds so they can get paid. But either way, all of it boils down to shorter songs. You know, I don't know how, like, a younger generation views this. I don't know if they care or not. To me, I mean, I've got enough music in my arsenal (laughs) where it it really wouldn't make a difference anyway. But uh, I just thought it was something that was kind of interesting in terms of what's going on with a lot of the newer music now that's out. Yeah, smooth jazz. Yeah. You know, when we come up here to record this podcast, we record it and it's kind of a makeshift studio and um, I don't know what it is with the people over us, but they are making a lot of noise up there, man. I mean, it. I mean, we've been up here for about a good four or maybe five hours and the knocking and bumping it has been going on. I mean, and it's, it is excessive too. Boom, boom, boom. Bam, bam, bam. Bam. You hear stuff dragging across the floor and people say it sounds like people are jumping up and down and say, Well, they must have kids or something up there. And I'm thinking, man, what could these people be doing up there? It sounds like they're construction are they doing construction work up there or what? I mean, it really is excessive. You know, I used to know a woman that stayed in an apartment and she would always complain about the people over her that they would make so much noise. She said All night long, uh, knocking and jumping and because they had kids, you know, and the kids would be running around and, you know, maybe jumping off the furniture and playing uh, wrestling or something. And it, and it was just excessive banging and knocking and banging. And and I thought to myself, I said, man, I wonder how many people out there live in these apartments and things where the person next to you or the person over you or is just making excessive amounts of noise. They're dragging furniture across the floor. They're walking heavy or they're... Uh, they got the music going, you know. I mean, I can I imagine if you have to hear something like that day in and day out. And these people, they always wind up making this type of noise. They never do it during like regular hours when everybody's up. It seems like they always make that type of noise when everybody's one, two, three in the morning when people are sleeping. You know. Yeah, I don't know how people deal with it. And then you know, we live in an era now. If you say something to people, then they're gonna have an attitude, and you know, and and, and you know, the thing about it is people like I was talking about on our previous podcast, when the lady was on there complaining about firework usage, how there was so much excessive firework usage going on. And she was saying that her son was um a little bit traumatized by it. And um with talk show host, she was on the radio and some guy called her and said, well, people that shoot fireworks got to live too. And so basically, listen, we're going to shoot our fireworks, whether you like it or not. So I'm saying all that to say that, you know, people got to live too. They got to stay in their apartments and, You know, they ain't going to just sit there and be still, but you, you know, you, you would think that they would have some degree of consideration about noise level. You know, but that's kind of the downside when you stay in apartments that are packed full of people. You know, that's what I was talking about earlier, about people being crammed in these areas. You know, in some of these apartment buildings, the walls are paper thin. You know, these people that make all this noise, I don't know if they're not aware of the noise level or if they don't give a damn or what. I mean, if I had to stay here, that, that would just drive me up the wall. Listening to that all night long, you know? Boom, boom, boom. Bang, 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 bang. It's like maybe they're doing jazzercise or something. I don't know. I ain't thought about jazzercise. Remember jazzercise? I don't even, um, yeah, I don't know how I pulled that one up. You know, and talking about noise, the past weekend here in Chicago was right before, it was the weekend before St. Patrick's Day. And, you know, you, I was talking about earlier, Mississippi and Texas opening up. Well, you would have thought Chicago had opened up because there was so many people on Saturday out and about on my commute to work. I saw tons of traffic, tons of foot traffic, car traffic. I saw a party bus. You heard me talking about a party bus earlier. Um, and I saw the the trolley tours that go on here. It's a vehicles that are shaped like trolleys, like the old style trolley cars, but they're on wheels and they ride up and down the street and they give tours. Now, I haven't seen those things riding up and down the street since this time last year before everything got shut down. Because, you know, it's not safe when you have a bunch of people on packed on a trolley riding around and they're telling you, oh, that's the Willis Tower. It used to be called the Sears Tower or Look over here to your left. There's the mercantile exchange or something, you know, or whatever the hell they do. Cars were going to and fro. They had the music on. Somebody silent. And I kid you not. Somebody had rolled past me bumping loudly. Remember that track Get Off by Foxy came out probably about the mid to late 70s, somewhere around up in there. Somebody was riding around bumping that. And I'm like, man, I hadn't heard that record in forever. And I'm a person that plays old music. And I just, you know, and I, I think they were a one hit wonder if I'm not mistaken. Cause I don't. um Yeah. As far as I know, they were a one hit wonder. You know, it was crazy about that song. This was a few years ago. This happened. Uh, you know how you're on YouTube and you might be YouTube surfing and you get like these random videos, these thumbnails or whatever. Well, Some kind of way, just randomly, this uh, story pops up about that track. Uh, The guy, I guess it was the lead singer of the group, Foxy. I mean, it was the weirdest thing. It just randomly popped up on my phone. Uh, I don't even know what made me watch it. It was only like a two or three minute clip. And it was the guy that was the lead singer. I don't know the guy's name. For some reason or another, this thing pops up on my uh, YouTube feed. And the guy is telling the story about this particular song, uh, this this uh, Get Off by Foxy. And he's telling he's telling the story about how they used to play the club. This is before they became famous. When they would get on stage, they would do this chant. Ooh, 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 like you hear on the record, right? And the audience would get into it and they would kind of chant it back. Well, the guy who ran the club was hearing him do this stuff night in and night out. And he just couldn't take it anymore. So he walks up to these people, uh, to this band Foxy. I don't know if they were called Foxy at the time or not. Like I said, this is before they became famous. And it's been years since I heard this story. So I'm kind of paraphrasing, but this is kind of how it went. But he walked up to them and told them, if you all do that ooh, ooh thing again, he said, I'm going to throw you out on your ass. Basically is what he told him. He just wasn't. So he wasn't having it. He couldn't stand it. So the lead singer was saying they went home and they woke up the next morning and they wrote this record and they purposely put that chant in there. To piss the guy off at the nightclub. So they were going to go back and they were, you know, these young guys, they're in a band, they're feeling themselves, you know, you know, you're not going to tell us we can't go ooh ooh with the crowd or whatever. <laughs> and um, so they write the song basically just to piss off this owner, this club owner, and they were debating whether or not they were going to play it. The lead singer was like, man, we're going to play it. And, and, the other, and the band was kind of like, well, no, maybe we shouldn't because we don't want to get fired and this, that, and other. But the lead singer eventually convinced them to play the record on stage and sure enough they went up there and they started oo, oo. <laughs> and he said the guy the every bouncer in the club he said every bouncer in the club came up there rushed their asses off the stage and threw them out on their asses just like the guy <laughs> so they got fired and they basically had to pack up and head back to uh whatever i don't remember what city they were from but they had to pack up and head back to whatever city they were from and uh they wound up finishing the album and they put the song on there and they, I guess they knew a, They had a manager or something And played on this record And some kind of way They wound up getting Put on the radio And <laughs> Within six weeks or so Said it was the number one record In the country So Just goes to show you How things work But I don't know um, I don't know much about Foxy at all As a matter of fact That's the first time I ever heard that story uh, The song I remember hearing Back in the day And you, know, you hear it every now and then On the old school stations But uh, As far as I know This was the only hit They ever really had But I could be wrong about that I don't know for sure You know listen I don't know why the hell I get so interested in these little tidbits of information and nobody else in the world gives a damn about information on songs that are 40 50 some years old you know but I don't know man I just get a kick out of learning these little uh, stories and you know and how people write songs and the inspiration behind certain things and because a lot of times you hear these songs and things being played on the radio throughout the years and you don't really know much about them, And most people don't give a damn anyway. But I don't know. Like I said, for me, it's just something that I always um, seem to be interested in. Well, anyway, we've come to the end of another podcast. Yeah, there's our track. Love will find a way. Lina Richie. Now, you got a younger generation. They know Lina Richie from American Idol. But I think that's his show. And isn't that the show he's on? American Idol. Yeah, which is a show I've never watched, by the way. But uh, Yeah, a lot of people, this is Lionel Richie from American Idol for the younger crowd that might not know that. That's his record. You know, we were talking about streaming earlier, man. I don't know if a lot of these artists, when they're getting their royalties and things, I don't know if they give like the breakdown or the geographic area where some of the tracks are being streamed at. But um, if Lionel Richie's somewhere and he's looking at the streams for this record, and he's probably wondering, man, why is this? so high in chicago it's probably us playing it because uh I mean, me in particular because i play this record a lot no doubt about it with all that being said we've come to the end of another episode podcast 42 another one in the books now i'm going caution people covid we're not out the woods yet i mean i see a lot of people out here they act like covid is a thing of the past so just be careful when you're out keep yourself safe keep your family safe Because there's a lot happening, man. I mean, you listening to this podcast, there's a lot of stuff going on in the news. And as the weather is getting warmer, you know what happens, at least here in this city. I don't know about where you guys stay, but here in Chicago, that's when you have a lot of stuff. (laughs) People come out and boy, do they get into some stuff. So just people be careful, be careful. And um, like you always hear me say at the end of every podcast, if you go somewhere and the vibe don't feel right, leave. Don't stick around, no second guess. Trust your mind, trust your instincts because that's what you have them for. Live to fight another day. And I'll also say this too, stay away from idiots because an idiot can get you in a lot of trouble. Even if you don't believe me, hang around an idiot and see what happens. All right. So, with all that being said, I am E. And for the Silent DJ, this has been the Chicago Grown Folk Podcast. And we... Are
5: Is out.
0: it hard this life you're living? Does the world seem so unkind? Don't you worry, love will find a way. Some say we've lost a way, some say the world.